So we've taken this opportunity to try a bunch of other tests and also expand globally, right? We know the U.S. is suffering because of this extended lockdown situation, but Asia is actually back to normal. I mean, people are going back to work. They're having conferences in China. And so as a result, Asia is growing 10x year over year for us because we've made this push. So it's sort of this combination of offense and defense with regards to COVID. Defense meaning, all right, let's look at the worst case scenario. And then how do we ensure we have enough lifeline, right? Which is cash. And then on the offensive piece, it was like, what are opportunities in the market that we should be taking advantage of? This is the CMO NGO podcast. We interview today's most inspiring chief marketing officers and savvy marketers of lucrative direct-to-consumer e-commerce companies, bringing you insightful stories and tips on marketing, sales, branding, and much more. We bring you the best lessons from the best. Let's get started with your host, Joe Momo. We are live. Welcome to the podcast, Wendy. Nice to be here, Joe. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. You're the co-founder and COO at Senrev. Um, you're a marketing expert, branding expert as well. Um, but before I get into all of that, perhaps give us a little backstory and who you are and uh, what you're currently up to. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm I'm Wendy. I'm the co-founder and COO of Senrev. Um, you know. We are a direct-to-consumer luxury handbag brand started at the end of 2016. So we're about four years old, um, turning for November 16th, actually. Um, my background is, you know, I'm an immigrant. I was born in China, moved to the U.S. when I was four and a half. You know, my parents were getting their uh, higher degree education. My dad is getting his PhD um, here in the U.S., and um, initially, I, I started on a path of, of finance and, and working in finance. So I, I went to MIT and then worked in investment banking and private equity. Um, realized that that path wasn't truly what made me happy. Um, ended up attending Stanford for my, for my MBA and started SunRev out, out of Stanford. Um, and the reason SunRev came to be is because I've just always really loved um, fashion and luxury handbags. Even when I was working in investment banking, I wasn't reading the Wall Street Journal or Bloomberg during my free time. I was researching my next designer handbag purchase, right? It was so important for me to find that perfect bag to add to my collection, even when I was spending thousands of dollars. But during that time, I remember feeling very frustrated because many of the bags I was purchasing we're ending up in my closet gathering dust. And the reason for that is all these beautiful three, $4,000 handbags weren't necessarily usable on a day-to-day basis for a woman like myself, for someone who needed to travel, who needed to carry a laptop, who needed to carry a lot of things, who's running from, you know, work to fitness class to, you know, a networking event at night to a dinner with, with friends. It, you know, it just... The, the really high-end three $4,000 luxury bags out there were usually too delicate, um, too heavy, didn't have convertible straps or comfortable straps, didn't fit all my stuff. And I found it frustrating to constantly be using bags that were not 
true luxury, right? Not made in Italy, didn't have the same luxury quality, um, but were functional. And so that's, that's how SunRev came to be. So my co-founder Coral and I started SunRev, um, and, you know, started working on it in 2015 when I had graduated from business school. And we had this hypothesis that there was something in this handbag space that we should explore that either, you know, you were paying over a thousand dollars for the the Louis Vuittons and Chanel's of the world, or you were paying less than $300 for like the Michael Kors, Kate Spades of the world. And there wasn't something in between that had the same quality and design as the Louis Vuittons of the world, but had the function to, functionality and versatility of the more um, lower end brands. And so that's, that's what SunRev strove to deliver. Um, and so we started working on it at the end of 2015, spent a year on it, launched at the end of 2016, November, 2016. So it's been four years since we've launched. We've raised a cumulative amount of $23 million, $23-24 million. Um, and we're, you know, high eight figures in, in revenue and growing 2X year to year. So it's been, it's been an amazing journey. We're actually now a global brand. Um, 50% of our sales comes from international outside of the U S part of it is driven by COVID. Um, but you know, we're, we're really excited about the growth that we've been able to achieve. We've seen our bags on the hands of Angelina Jolie, Priyanka Chopra, Brie Larson, Jessica Alba. Um, you know, we've really developed a cult following of these influencers and celebrities who really love our products. And as a result, you know, word of mouth has grown our brand amongst women, female executives, women in finance, women in business, et cetera. Absolutely. I saw on your profile too, that dreamed up in San Francisco, designed in New York city and made in Italy. Uh, I'm just curious, your first, your first year, you said, um, cause we have a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs listening what were some of the challenges? Maybe, maybe what's a key piece of advice would you give them um, in growing a brand like uh, SunRev? I would say for entrepreneurship in general, this is general entrepreneurship advice. I think number one is persistence and grit. I think companies don't fail. They just run out of cash sometimes and the founders give up, <laughs> you know, companies fail when the founders give up and basically um, you know, you just have to keep at it, right? Anytime you run into an obstacle, you just keep going um, and you'll figure it out. So for example, let's say our first batch of handbags that we had created in November were all broken or nobody bought it, right? Let's say nobody wanted them. We could just fold and quote unquote fail at that moment, or we could pivot and try a different design or maybe switch to a different category, et cetera, et cetera. So on, entrepreneurship is literally just about not giving up because if you don't give up and you have enough cash runway to keep trying and to keep pivoting and keep figuring it out, you'll eventually find quote unquote success. Right. Um, and so that's probably my biggest, I think the biggest lesson I've had regarding entrepreneurship is, you know, your company doesn't just fail. It only fails if you let it fail. Mm, absolutely. And you, yeah, I want to echo that, just having that resilience. Um, one thing I did want to ask you, Wendy, was I see lots of symbolism to Octopi um, on the website. And I was curious, how, how does Wendy balance her work-life balance, running the business, um, 
and keeping everything running smoothly? I, you know, I work-life balance doesn't really exist. I think it's, it, I don't think about it that way because it's never going to be a balance, right? It's always going to be a lot of work and then a lot of relaxation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what I do and the way I think about me in my professional capacity is that in order for me to show up and be the best at my job every single day, I myself one day need to be doing well, right? That means getting enough sleep, eating healthy, exercising regularly, having a clear mental state and feeling really healthy and good about myself is the baseline. It's the foundation to showing up and delivering on the job. I would be doing sunrev or you know, my team members a disservice if I show, showed up burnt out. So what that means is making sure I carve out time to relax and unwind, right? I try not to work on the weekends when I can, when I can um, get away with it, right? It was harder in the beginning, but now that we have a team of over 30 across the globe, you know, it is easier for me to take a step back and just kind of completely unplug on the weekends because that fuels my creativity, right? It refuels my gas tank to show up on Monday and be able to make those tough decisions and be able to come up with those creative solutions. Um, so I, I loved that book, Atomic Habits. Have you read it, Joe? Have you heard of it? Um, I've heard of it. I haven't read it yet. It's all about minuscule habit changes that allows you as a person to perform better. So it's like making a list of all the habits that will just compound over time and make you infinitely better. And so for me, those habits are meditating daily, trying to get to bed before 12 a.m. It's hard because I'm a night owl. <laughs> um, exercising daily, um, taking a step back every morning and planning out what are my three priorities for the day. Um, and if and, and what's the top one? If I can get one thing done, that would be great. And then if I can get all three, that would be like amazing. That helps me prioritize. And just sticking to these habits allows me to kind of ensure I stay focused and stay, um, you know, resilient and, and have that perseverance I had just mentioned earlier. Right. Cause ultimately I need to be in a place where I can push through any kind of obstacle and that starts with taking care of myself and my own well-being. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And I love that. I think themes of resilience and perseverance have come up a lot the last few months with the whole pandemic and um, just 2020 being a hell of a year. Crazy year, yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, how have you managed to, to manage, um, persevere through this crazy, crazy last few months? What, what, what were some of the challenges that you ran into? Um, you know, I think with the COVID crisis, it actually forced our company to really focus on what matters, right? And at the very beginning of the year or beginning of March, when the lockdown happened, um, we determined that we had three priorities. Number one was survival, right? Let's just, let's just survive. There's a lot of uncertainty. Let's make sure our team survives. Let's make sure everyone stays safe. Number two, was cash preservation and runway extension. As I had mentioned before, companies don't fail. They only fail when the founders give up and you give up when you don't have money. You don't have, when you don't have money, you don't have options. And so we took a hard look at all of our expenses, all of our marketing budget, um, our headcount. And thankfully we had raised 
16.75 million um, in a Series A round last uh, last November, November 2019. And so we were entering 2020 very well capitalized with, with this cash. But we were looking at that cash balance and thinking, how can we make this stretch? How can we make this last 24 plus months? And we basically shifted our strategy and growth um, goals in order to focus on cash preservation. And third, it was about creativity. How do we lean into opportunity? How do we maintain flexibility and ensure that we are taking advantage of any opportunities that COVID-19 brings and having that nimbleness to respond to that? So an example would be, we launched this thing called Selected by SunRev, which basically allows SunRev as a platform to recommend other brands to our huge audience. And then we would take a little cut of that affiliate fee, right? Um, That was one thing we tried. We also have launched other products outside of the luxury handbag category, such as masks. Um, You know, we're partnering with a hand sanitizer company, um, home cashmere and candles. So we're thinking this woman that we're targeting, this luxury woman is now home, right? She's buying throws and blankets and pajamas and candles. So let's launch those things. So we've taken this opportunity to to try a bunch of other tests um, and also expand globally, right? We know the U.S. is suffering because of this extended lockdown situation, but Asia is actually back to normal. I mean, people are going back to work. They're having conferences in China. And, you know, people are literally going back to offices. And so as a result, Asia is growing 10x year over year for us because we've made this push. So it's sort of this combination of offense and defense with regards to COVID. Defense meaning, all right, let's look at the worst case scenario. And then how do we ensure we have enough life, lifeline, right? Which is cash. So we were cutting our budget. We were everything, every investment we did, we ensured it was cash on cash, ROI positive. So that's the defense. And then on the offensive piece, it was like, what are opportunities in the market that we should be taking advantage of? Absolutely. I love that defense and offense. Uh, speaking of offense, so um, like I mentioned, there's lots of aspiring entrepreneurs, even entrepreneurs listening. Um, you, you talk about raising cash and how the company doesn't fail. It's um, just the founders giving up or running out of cash. Um, so my, my question to you, Wendy, is what, what are some good tips on raising money? Like what, what would be a key piece of advice you'd give? Yeah, I think um, put yourself in the shoes of the investor. And I'm lucky in that I had worked at TPG Growth, which is a private equity fund um, where I was an investor. And so I understood very intimately what they looked for. And they look for making money. All they care about is that they will make a very strong return at the lowest risk possible. So, you know, there's a few things they always think about. It's like market size, unit economics, growth and traction, um, risks, right? And so knowing that framework, you know, it was really important for us to create a foolproof story across all of these categories. So market size, we're like, luxury is a $300 billion market with handbags being 60 to $70 billion of it. That's a huge market, right? And it's dominated by antiquated incumbents, such as Louis Vuitton, Michael Kors, Kate Spade. There's not a lot of new direct-to-consumer guys trying to attack luxury. And so this is an opportunity for us. Um, two unit economics, you know, our price points are really high. We're at like $900 
handbags, right? And so because of that, we're able to capture a lot of the margin, especially if we're going direct and not going to um, sell to retailers. So, you know, we detailed our unit economics. Um, you know, it's all about growth. You know, we're growing 2x, 2 to 3x year over year. And then lastly, risks. You know, I made a list of all of the things that they would think about, like, you know, how are you defensible? How are you going to stay relevant? You know, what's your product development strategy? Couldn't somebody else come and copy you? And just had very crisp answers in anticipation of those questions. So it's really important to prepare in advance and have that sort of clear idea of what they're going to ask for. And then just going in with a lot of confidence because they can sniff out people who are insecure and not confident about what they're doing. Just really going in and believing your mission and showing them how passionate you are about your mission. Absolutely. Have your poker face on. <laughs> Have your poker face on. And then I would just say fundraising is a numbers game. It is. We talked to 31 funds and we were rejected 28 times. You know, so it's, you're going to get a lot of no's and they're going to say no for all sorts of different reasons. And that's okay. Because most of the time, the reason they're rejecting you is not because of you. It's because they, something in their experience turned them against direct to consumer, something in their experience makes them uncomfortable with fashion. Maybe their fund is out of money. You know, they don't really have enough money right now. Maybe that, that particular partner you talk to doesn't have a strong political position at that fund to push a deal through. Maybe that partner already did a deal this year that they're very happy about and they just don't want to do the work for another deal. There's a whole host, 90% of the reason for why they are saying no is not because of the fundamentals of Sunred. It's because of factors we cannot control. So just go out, hit the ground, running, hustle, make on doors. All you need is one person to say yes. Yeah, I love that. All you need is one person. That's the- <laughs> All you need is one person. And, and none of the rejections, the rejections you've gotten in advance of that one person don't necessarily indicate that you're going to get rejections everywhere. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you mentioned the luxury industry being surrounded by incumbents, um, old incumbents like Louis Vuitton and stuff. Um, but from your perspective, I know you've been uh, with the company for four years now, or uh, created a company four years ago, but uh, how has the industry changed from when you first started to, uh, to now? You know, the industry hasn't changed that much in the last four years. I think the biggest change may, might be that the retailers they historically relied on are all going out of business, right? So historically, luxury re- relied a lot on the Barneys of the world, the Neiman Marcuses of the world, and the Nordstroms of the world. And given the COVID-19 environment, um, it's really accelerated their demise. And so a lot of these brands are trying to figure out how to go direct to consumer. So for Sunrev and companies like Sunrev, where we already have that direct to consumer relationship with, you know, our customer, we have a huge advantage. Absolutely. Um, speaking more, switching gears to a little bit more marketing and um, just want to get your perspective. What's maybe a marketing trend right now that's really exciting you? I think it's really important to show more authenticity and um, to show the behind the scenes of a brand. People really care about buying into the mission and the people behind a brand, right? It's no longer just, oh, I'm buying Gucci for the Gucci logo. 
Um, nowadays, they care about the story. They care about the founders. They care about what the brand stands for. And the more you can peel back the onion to re- reveal the raw, like unedited, vulnerable um, stories of the founding of a company, I think the more it'll resonate with the audience. Because people, like you said earlier, people can sniff out anything that's not authentic. And authenticity and vulnerability um, really rings true in today's environment. Speaking of authenticity and vulnerability, <laughs> what's uh, maybe a question that you never get asked that you wish you would be asked? That's a great question. Um, I would say, how many hours of sleep do you get per night? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I... I need seven to eight hours. And the reason I'm very passionate about talking about this is because when I was starting out and I was listening to these types of podcasts, you know, I listened to Tori Birch speak. I listened to Diane von Furstenberg. And I felt like a lot of these entrepreneurs or C-level executives who have made it brag about how little sleep they get. They all talk about, you know, I don't sleep. I sleep four to five hours because I'm, you know, doing so much, running so hard. And, you know, as a girl who is trying to start out starting my own company, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't do it. I'm never going to be successful because I need my sleep. (laughs) If I don't sleep seven plus hours, I'm pessimistic, not creative, um, unmotivated. I can't make hard decisions. I just don't want to do anything. I mean, I'm sure you know, right? Like when you're not sleep, when you're not sleeping, you feel terrible. Um, And I, I had this moment of insecurity thinking, oh shit, I can't, excuse my language. I can't, I can't, I can't be successful because I need too much sleep. I'm so weak. Um, But upon embarking on this journey, I realized very quickly what I had shared earlier on that it's really not about the quantity of hours you put into the company. It's about the quality of the decisions that you're making. It's about how you're showing up every day, especially as you get larger and you're just a leader within the company, inspiring people to work hard and to figure out problems. You need to be good yourself (laughs) in order for the company to be good. So whatever amount of sleep you need for you to be good, you should strive to optimize your life to achieve that amount of sleep. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. Cause you always hear it. Um, just the hustle mentality, just no sleep, always working, but work a hundred hours a week, whatever. <laughs> that's not healthy and that's not sustainable. And I guarantee you the first 50 hours might be great, but the last 50 hours is probably useless. You're probably doing busy work that you don't necessarily need to do. And yeah, you burn out quicker too. And it's just bad for your mental health overall to right. burn yourself that, that day. Right. Um, one, one question I didn't want to ask you, Wendy, was obviously through your entrepreneur's journey, you have a bunch of resources along the way, whether it be mentors, uh, books, or things you've listened to. Um, but what's maybe something that's really helped you along your way that you can share for the, to the listeners? I networked my butt off in the beginning. I was spending time calling everybody. I cold called Diane von Furstenberg. Um, I leveraged my alumni network and just called any senior person who might have any relationship to the fashion industry. Um, and when you're an entrepreneur and you know using your student card, like, oh, I just graduated and trying to start a company, they find they find you very unintimidating and unthreatening. Um, and I really just went crazy, kind of networking. And you never know. Nine out of those 10 conversations might not be helpful, but that one out of 10 could be an X factor conversation that gets you your first 
round raise, right? That can introduce you to a factory or to a designer that can sign on to be an advisor or that can help you hire a critical hire. And so I just encourage entrepreneurs to, you know, not just always focus internally, but also reach out and constantly build their network because you never know who might be very helpful. Absolutely. And then obviously all, I love reading all the books, all the biographies of entrepreneurs, you know, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Um, <laughs> love, love Steve Jobs. Um, loved, um, oh, I loved Bob Iger's oh, yeah. book, Ride of a Lifetime, the CEO of Disney. Um, so I, I, those books are really inspirational. And I, I always glean a lot of, a lot of tips and, and, and ways to think frameworks for thinking about the journey um, through reading those books. Absolutely. Yeah, I just wanted to drill in just a little bit more on the networking piece just to give some value for the listeners. Um, what sort of ways would you go about or advise reaching out to people? Is it email, cold calling? And what sort of things would you do to hope to get a response back? Um, whether it be, yeah, very yeah. good question. Ideally, you get referred by somebody. Ideally, it's a warm intro. Um, in the event that there is no warm intro, still okay to cold call or cold email, I would always cold email. Um, I would keep the email very short such that it fits within one scroll of your mobile phone. So that's the test, right? And, and be very specific about what you're looking for. Like for Diane von Furstenberg, I, you know, I said, I really would love to understand you know, how you guys pivoted from being a dress company to starting handbags. We'd love to hear more about that journey. Um, you know, for one of our largest early investors, angel investors, I knew he was a sales guy, like he had done enterprise sales. So I asked him, I was like, you know, I'm starting this company. I really want to pick your brains regarding our go-to-market strategy, whether to leverage, you know, a sales force, whether to go direct to consumer. So I would just change my question to fit that person's specific expertise. Mm, okay. Yeah, I love that. I love that. But do research on what they always come very prepared and, and, and understand what they are well-equipped to talk about. Absolutely. And be interested in what they have to say. <laughs> and be interested in what they have to say. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. Um, I only have a few more questions here for you, uh, Wendy. Um, one thing I did want to get your perspective on was what are some common misconceptions about launching a new brand or a company that you wish would be debunked? One misconception is that um, you have to spend a lot of money on marketing. I remember in the very beginning, many investors were like, oh, building a luxury brand is going to be so expensive. They spend, you know, billions of dollars on marketing every single year. It's all marketing. And I think that used to be the case, but that's not anymore, right? It used to be that in order to be a, mar a luxury brand, you needed to have that full page spread and all the high-end magazines, right? You needed to be on the billboard in Times Square. Um, you needed to have these expensive like really glittery stores, you know, in Beverly Hills or on Fifth Avenue, that's no longer the case because of the internet and because of social media. Social media has democratized access to, to different brands. So with influencers and Instagram, there's a way for you to find your audience and to show your audience what you stand for without having to spend a ton of money. It's about partnering with the right people who represent, you know, what your brand stands for. So in the very beginning, what we did was we just 
looked at, okay, who is our target customer? You have to be very specific who your target customer is. And for us, it's this woman who's in her mid thirties, who lives in major metropolitan cities, who probably, you know, works in consulting or finance or, or tech, you know, this, this millennial professional woman. Um, and we just asked ourselves, where does she get her fashion recommendations from? Is it her fashionista friend? Is it this, is it the C level executive woman mentor that they look up to at their company? Is it some celebrity that they care a lot about? Is it like influencers they follow on Instagram? Is it refinery 29? Is it like these publications that they read? And we made sure Senrev was there. So we made sure we gifted a lot of these influencers and celebrities. So they started wearing our products. We made sure we pitched our story to those publications. So they started talking about us. We created a very scrappy, um, low budget version of marketing that was grassroots where it felt like everybody in the world was talking about us without us putting a single dollar into advertising. Wow. That's, that's amazing. Um, Speaking on that, how do you how do you create a great customer experience? I know you, once you get the marketing of people through the door, how do you make sure they keep coming back and um, really shepherd your brand? We, I mean, it's so important to ensure every single customer has a great experience. We don't let a single angry customer walk away angry. So anytime we hear any feedback that a customer is unhappy, whether it's a Yelp review, whether it's a Google review, whether it's somebody emailing us just saying they're unhappy, either I call them or our head of customer calls them and we try to figure out how to turn around their experience. Because it's, so, it's, it's not so much what happens to a customer that ultimately matters, it's how you make your customer feel. You know, so we've had customers where their bags broke right? Like there might've been a batch that had an issue and that really leaves a bad feeling in their mouth about our brand. But it wasn't about the bag breaking. It was how we were going to treat them thereafter. So we would call them up, apologize, explain exactly what happened. Oh, that batch had an error in the production process. We're going to recall all of it. And by the way, we're going to send you a brand new replacement ASAP so that you don't have to deal with this. And by the way, we have a lifetime warranty. Here's my personal cell number call me anytime if you have any issues. And if we do that, we go above and beyond and treat them with that level of respect. They're not going to remember, they're not going to care that the bag broke. They're just going to remember about, oh my gosh, like look at how nice Senrev was going above and beyond and having the co-founder call me and explain and apologize. Like this is, this is a brand I'm going to be shopping for, for life. Absolutely. Yeah. Just going above and beyond. That's how you turn customers into ambassadors. Exactly. Exactly. And don't let a single one of them fall through the cracks. Having that hypervigilant mentality is critical. It's like a zero defect mentality. We're not going to let a single customer walk away unhappy if they, if they told us that they were unhappy. Wow. I love that. And yeah, it's been a pleasure speaking with you, Wendy. I only have a couple more questions here for you. Um, what's maybe something you're proud of that we haven't touched on in the interview today? I'm really proud of our team. I think it's, I'm really proud of mentoring them and seeing them grow. I think that's, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to start a company. And one of the reasons I pursued entrepreneurship is to build something, right? There's three reasons why people pursue entrepreneurship. One is to make a lot of money. Two is to change the world. And three is to build a great company or build a great team and build something. I'm in the third category. I just love seeing people develop. I love seeing um, you know, people rise to the challenge. And, and I've really seen that with Sunrev. 
Absolutely. Where can our listeners connect with you online if they have more questions for you? You can find me on Instagram. Um, I'm at underscore Wendy underscore when on Instagram. That's probably the best way. And I'm also on LinkedIn. Perfect. And I'll put those in the description of the podcast. Great. Um, send the podcast. I like to, since the marketing and branding podcast, I like to ask the guest one word or phrase to describe their brand. So my last question to you, Wendy, is what's one word or phrase to describe Wendy Wynn's brand? Hmm. Vibrant. This episode of the CMO and Joe podcast has ended, but be sure to subscribe for more business strategies and tactics to help you create the profitable and successful business you've always dreamed of. And don't forget to rate and review so we can continue to bring you the best content. See you on the next episode.